very thankful to be here with you again tonight, uh, looking forward to the study of the evening. Um, very thankful that you've invited us to be a part of your lives this week. Uh, we're thankful for the, the blessing that you are to our family, um, and, and we hope that we can be of service as we uh, come here to study t- together the Word of God. Uh, I want to take just a moment to, uh, to welcome any of our uh, Spanish-speaking uh, guests. Um, I want to just say a few uh, words in Spanish here to, to welcome them. Uh, bienvenidos a ustedes que pueden hablar español. Uh, si, como pueden ver aquí, tenemos uh, la traducción en español aquí en la pantalla, pero le quiero, queremos uh, uh, que, que sean uh, bienvenidos y, y muchas gracias por estar aquí a, a estudiar juntos con, con la Palabra de Dios con nosotros. Uh, esperamos que es uh, algo muy uh, bueno para tu fe y para, para aprender más de la Palabra de Dios. Y si quieren estudiar más, podemos hablar después. Uh, we continue our study tonight as we uh, talk about, let's see if this thing is on here, here we go. Uh, so far we've examined Adam and we saw the responsibility that God gave to Adam and Eve as, as image bearers of his glory in this world and, the, and how they failed in that responsibility to uphold the holiness of God in this world. Uh, they committed sin, and now there's an a ongoing conflict between a holy God and man. And God's purpose has been to, to help us to be restored to that holiness and to that harmony between us and Him. But we're in conflict because of sin and because of death. But as we've seen throughout the pages of the Scriptures, the whole story is about Jesus Christ. The whole story has always been about Jesus Christ. And we notice that, especially as we examine the story of Noah. Just as Noah was raised up as he was put in this vessel because he followed the instructions of God, and he was raised up from corruption as God washed away the corruption of the world, so Jesus was in this vessel of flesh, having gone down into the grave and being raised up from death, God, with his power, destroying that bond of death that that had had hold over our lives. And just as that is the case, we are baptized into Christ, put in there by God, sealed into that glory, and raised up from our sins as our sins are washed away. And it's all a picture of what is to come with the the final day, the resurrection, where we are in Christ, and we will be raised up, and God, with fire, will will dissolve this world and wash away the corruption and and put all things to an end that were were sinful, and He'll raise us up to be with Him. We see the continuation of this story in the story of Abraham. When Adam and Eve committed sin in the garden, God made this promise in Genesis chapter 3.15, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Now we said the rest of the story of the Bible is how God brought this promise about, and that's exactly how it comes into focus as we look at the story of Abraham. And it narrows to focus on the family of Abraham. And, and, and it shows us how God brought this promise through his family. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 through 4, God said, I will make of thee, speaking to Abraham, at this point his name is Abram, which means father, simply means father. It says, I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and I will bless him that curse, uh, and curse them that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abraham was 75 years old when he departed out of Haran. Now, God promises here to give him the land and to make his name great and to make a great nation out of him. 
And if you'll recall, when God created Adam, he charged him to be fruitful and to be multiplied. When Noah stepped out of the ark, God charged them, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. You be, be fruitful and multiply. We see the language change by the time we get to Abraham. And God says, I will multiply you. So there's a shift in the story now. And now God puts it on himself to, to make mankind fruitful and multiply them. He also promises that his family, uh, that through him, all families of the earth would be blessed. There's just one tiny problem as we're looking at the story of Abraham. He has no children. How can God bring about this promise of making this great descendant, uh, these great descendants and this great nation descend from Abraham if he has no children? And on top of that, his wife is barren. She's 65 years old at this point in the story. And she can't have children. She hasn't had children up to this point. And she's past the age of, have, of bearing children. How in the world could he possibly be the father of a great nation? Well, the Bible does tell us that Abraham did not stagger at the promise of God being unfaithful. But I think the Bible does show us that he needed some reassurance. And so in Genesis 15, 1 through 6, God comes to him and says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram. I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abraham said, or Abram, sorry, said, Lord, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars. Count the stars, Abraham, if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. So here, Abraham is reassured of God about these promises of being multiplied as a father of nations. God tells him that this promise will come to, to pass, but Abraham says, Well, how will I know? How will I know that you'll make my, my name great, that you'll give me all this family, that I'm going to have a family that comes from me? Because right now, all I have is a servant that's in my house, who's mine heir. And God says, no, you will have a child that comes from your own bowels. How? Well, he tells Abraham to take these animals and make the sacrifice, and Abraham cuts these animals in half, and he lays them down in this corridor, and back then, that was the way you made covenants. If you've heard the phrase, cut a deal, that's kind of where that comes from, that concept. You're cutting a deal with somebody. You're entering into this pact with someone that you, you have a part of the bargain, and they have a part of the bargain, and they're going to uphold that. Now, God tells Abraham to do this, and God is placing the burden on himself to uphold this, this deal that he made with him, this promise that he made with him. And so what we see in Genesis 15, 17 through 18 is pretty significant when we see that it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. And the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, unto thy seed have I given this land from the river, uh, from the river of Egypt into the great river, the river Euphrates. What we see here is God passing between those pieces and entering into this binding covenant. And really the, the concept with this, and we see this, you can see this in passages like Jeremiah, and uh, I think it's mentioned maybe another place, uh, but specifically in Jeremiah, where the concept and the idea behind this cutting of these animals and passing through is basically, if I don't uphold my end of the deal, let me be as these pieces that are cut asunder, that are cut in half, that are cut to pieces. Let me be as, as them if I don't uphold my agreement. And so God 
himself passes through, as, as the symbol shows us, the smoking furnace and this burning lamp pass through these pieces. And so God is making it very clear to Abraham, I am not going to fail in my responsibility of bringing about this promise to you, of making your name great and giving you this, this great nation and this blessing that comes from your seed. <clears throat> Ten years pass. Still no child. Faith, uh, Abraham didn't stagger at the promise. But maybe Sarah did a little. Sarah decides it's going to be a good plan. Maybe God needs help. We haven't had children at this point. Abraham's 85 years old. Sarah is 75 years old. I mean, we're not getting any younger. God, let's get this thing moving, right? Well, she thinks that's the, the idea here. She, God just needs a little help. So in Genesis 16, 2 through 4, we see, Sarai un, uh, said unto Abraham, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. This is Sarah's earthly thinking. God promised Abraham with certainty, even after passing through these pieces, making this covenant, with certainty he is going to bless Abraham that someone from his own bowels will come and be his heir. And Sarah says, maybe God needs help, and this servant needs to be the way that we have a child. And so she gives him the servant. And Abram Abraham hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's uh, wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And he went un unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. Imagine how lifted up Hagar must have felt since she was able to bear the seed of Abraham, and Sarah wasn't. So now this servant has, uh, is a little bit lifted up in her pride, thinking, well, I'm the one who's going to bring this promise about, of Abraham having this great nation. And what we see is problems begin to happen. Her mistress was despised in her eyes, and problems always happen when humans intervene with God's plan. Man's ways don't work. That's kind of the lesson that jumps out as we see this with, with Sarah and Abraham. Man's ways don't work. This was wrong, and this was a failure on their part to trust in God, and a failure on Sarah's part specifically to trust in God and let him bring about his promise. Of course, Abraham goes right along with it. He didn't, he didn't put a stop to that, but here it is, and so problems begin to happen. Okay, time goes on. Thirteen more years pass. Abraham is now 99 years old. Sarah is 89 years old. He has a son, Ishmael, who was born from Hagar, the Egyptian servant, but he doesn't have a child with Sarah, who's 89 years old. Again, at this time, 89. Get that picture in your head. An 89-year-old woman. is we're, we're waiting for her to have a child. It is impossible. By man's standards. God reassures them the year before this is going to come to pass. Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, God appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect, and I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations." Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but now thy name shall be Abraham. No more shall your name be just father. Now it's father of many. 
And not just many, many nations, God says. For a father of many nations have I made thee. That's what Abraham means, father of many nations. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful and make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Embedded in this saying and this reassurance that God gives to Abraham and changing his name and telling him that he's going to be the father of many nations, he says kings will come out of thee. Not only would there be royalty in his line as far as kings that would be established like uh, Saul would be established as the king over Israel and David, the righteous king, and all of these kings that would come after him, God is thinking of one specific king. I just want to throw that in there as well. God told him kings would come from his line. But he says, I promise you this is going to happen, and this is the year before. Okay? God also, at this time, gives Abraham instructions to enter as far as this covenant and this agreement that's with him. What does Abraham, Abraham have to do? What does Abraham have to do to show that he is in this covenant with God? Well, God gives him a sign of the covenant. We see God is, is, is prone to do that. When he makes a covenant, he gives a sign that there is a covenant. We saw that with Noah and the rainbow. Now he does this with Abram. Uh, he says, this is, now that his name has changed in the story, I can't get it straight. Uh, I was having trouble before, but now I'm just staying mixed up. Genesis 17, 10 through 11. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised, and he shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and this shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. God made this, this act of circumcision a sign that they were part of this covenant with God. Abraham and his seed after him would have to comply with this to show that they were part of the covenant people of God. That's important. Now, in this story, as God is telling him all these things and instructing these things, Abram does this for Ishmael at this time, and he pleads on, God's, uh, on Ishmael's behalf to God, and he says, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. He's like, I already have a son. Here he is. You can bring the promise through him. But God makes it clear. He says, No. In Isaac shall thy seed be called. He makes it very clear that Isaac is going to be the son. He gives him the name of the child. And he says, Sarah is the one that's going to bear this child. And so, so this promise is with Isaac and the seed after him. So then the time comes. They wait. This is a year before. And just as the time uh, that God appointed, a year came. And now it's time for a child to be born. Genesis 21, 5-7. And Abram was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh. That's what the name Isaac means, to laugh. So that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that, that Sarah should give, have given children suck? For I have borne him a son in his old age. They thought it was impossible. And by all means, it was. And now she says, now we rejoice. The one who is barren now is having a child. And all that, that hear me will laugh with me. God has made this impossible thing come to pass. Now time passes and they wean the child. And we see an event that takes place between Sarah now and her child, the son of promise that is born by the promise of God, an 80 or a 90-year-old woman having a child. And Hagar, the Egyptian who had a child with Abraham many years before. Genesis 21, 9 through 10. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham, mocking. Wherefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous to Abram, Abraham. 
But God reassures him to listen to Sarah. For in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And so he has Abraham cast out the bondwoman and her son. The son of the bondwoman does not abide in the house with the son of promise. And then something incredible happens. Abraham is put to the test in a very serious way. It came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains of which I tell thee of. This is a big test. He calls upon Abraham to offer up his only son as a sacrifice. The only son through whom God was supposed to bring this great promise of having this great nation multiplied to him. Now God wants him as a sacrifice. Well, Abraham prepares for the journey with him and Isaac and some servants cutting up some wood for the burnt offering. And as they travel... They get to the mountain three days later, and Abraham tells his servants, wait here, me and Isaac are going to go up to worship, and we will be back. Abraham takes the wood of the sacrifice and lays it upon this son of promise to carry up this hill to his own demise. He takes the wood of the sacrifice lays it all out in order upon the altar, and he takes Isaac and binds him and lays him upon that wood. And as they were traveling up, Isaac says, Father, behold the wood and, and the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says something amazing. He says, Son, the Lord will provide himself a lamb for a sacrifice. And as Isaac lays there on the wood, Abraham having laid him there, he takes the knife and he stretches out his hand. And God calls out, Abraham. Abraham. And Abraham stops and says, here I am, Lord. And God says, now I know now I know that you are faithful and obedient to me. You were not willing to, to even withhold your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifts up his eyes and he finds a ram caught in a thicket. And he takes that and he sacrifices that in place of his son. And the angel of the Lord called out unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself I have sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing, thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, in that, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seeds as the stars of heaven, and as the sand that which is upon the seashore. Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice." 
Abraham went through with the sacrifice of his son, and it's as, it's as if Isaac was offered up anyway. And the scripture says so, as we'll look at here in just a moment. He was as good as dead upon that altar, and God said, because you were willing to even give me your only son, I will make this promise sure. And not only did God promise that he was going to bring it about, which is good enough, but Hebrews chapter 6 tells us that by two immutable things, he wanted to make it certain to Abraham and the heirs of the promise that he was going to bring this to the pass. So not only did he promise to Abraham, but he swore by himself, because he could swear by no greater, he swore on his own self that he was going to bring this to pass. And so now we have the promise of God and the oath that he swears to Abraham that he is going to bring this to pass. And he does. This whole story, the whole time, is about Jesus. That's the beautiful and wonderful thing about the scriptures, that interwoven, as we've talked about over and over again, is the story of Christ. How? Well, Jesus is the son of promise. Just like Sarah, it should have been impossible for a child to be born to this 90-year-old woman. It was unnatural. And when Christ came, as it was prophesied, it was unnatural for a virgin to be with child. It's impossible. But it was so because God promised it would be so. In Matthew chapter 1, 21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child. Impossible but not with God. And he says, she shall bring forth a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God performs this great miracle to prove to humanity that this is not of human origin. This is a promise from God. This is something spiritual in nature. This is something much more powerful in nature than the, the simple ways and the means of humanity. This comes from a greater power. And so Jesus is born as the true fulfiller, as the promise of Abraham, and that's exactly what the people recognized him as when he was born, and they held him in his arms, or, or they saw and looked upon his face. People knew that he was the fulfiller of that. Zacharias the priest, prior to the birth of Christ, made this prophecy through the Holy Spirit, and he says, the reason that this child is going to be born is to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham. Jesus is the one who is bringing about the fulfillment of this oath. When God said, through thy seed, all nations of the earth would be blessed, God was talking about Jesus. Paul says so in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He didn't say, and to thy seeds, but he said, to thy seed, singular, which is Christ. In this I say that the covenant, which was confirmed of God before of God in Christ, the covenant that God was making with Abraham was confirmed in Christ before the law was ever given, which was 430 years after. And that law has no power to disannul and to make the promise of God of none effect. That's what Paul is arguing in Romans when he talks about the law, the law of God is incapable of making the promise of God ineffectual. And he says, the, the law which was given 430 years after cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. God's promise stands sure that Jesus was the one that was the promised seed that he was talking to Abraham about way before in those days of Abraham, way before the coming of Christ. Jesus said this of Abraham. This could mean a couple things. 
but put it in this context that Abraham knew that God was speaking about a specific person. Jesus told the Pharisees, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. Abraham understood that there was something greater at play and he was glad because he knew that the son of promise was the Christ. The one with whom God was making this oath and this promise. And yes, Jesus was born into this world. The word of God became flesh as we read in John chapter 1. And he came into this world to bring us peace and to save us from sins. And just like Just like the son of promise, Isaac, the promised son, the only begotten of the father, was offered up for us and sacrificed. In that picture of Abraham offering up his son Isaac, we see something very important. Hebrews chapter 11 tells us, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. You see how it says that? He didn't almost offer him up. He went through the process and he offered him up. That child was as good as dead. And he offered him up. And he said, For he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Why is God asking him to do this thing now? He's the one that's supposed to multiply my lineage. But he says he went through with this because he had faith in God, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead. From whence he received him in a figure. When Abraham took that child, just like we talked about in Genesis 22, when he walked up the mountain, he told those people, you guys wait here, me and Isaac are going to go, me and Isaac are going to come back. Abraham the whole time had the confidence in God that he was able to raise up his son from the dead. And he received him from the dead, symbolically, in the fact that this child was as good as dead, but God saved him. And, and raised him up from, that, from that, that deathbed. And so he, this child was a picture of Christ coming and dying and being sacrificed into the world uh, and unto God, being buried and being raised up again as a sacrifice. Remember, as they're waiting and they're going up this mountain, Isaac says, Father, see, here's the wood and here's the fire. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide himself a lamb. And that's truly what God did. He provided himself as the lamb. 1 Peter 1, 19-21, But with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Jesus is the lamb of God that was sacrificed for our behalf. He was delivered up for our offenses. He was given for our faults and our failures. Sacrificed so that we wouldn't have to be. All that wrath God poured upon him because we broke the covenant. And Jesus was cut asunder like those pieces and was done like those, those pieces of those animals. And all the wrath was poured upon him on our behalf. And in the fact that Jesus 
died and was raised again and the, is the one that God was swearing with an oath that he would make the, the seed of his lineage be multiplied and that, that through Abraham's seed, this seed, the Christ, would all nations of the earth be blessed. Christ is the fulfiller of that promise. Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen, this was God's plan the whole time when he's talking about this to Abraham because it was his whole plan before the foundation of the world and it's exactly what he was talking about in Galatians chapter 3:15 when he knew the seed of the woman would come to destroy the serpent he says foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith he preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying in thee shall all nations be blessed when God made that promise to Abraham he was teaching him the gospel that everyone in the world would have access to salvation through the Christ Acts chapter 13, verse 32, uh, Paul says, We declare unto you glad tidings that now, or how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us, their children, in that he raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. When God raised up Jesus from the dead, he was fulfilling the very promise that he made to Abraham. And he made it accessible to everyone from all nations. That resurrection was the most glorious event that could take place and everything that humanity was waiting for since the day that the fall happened in the garden. Romans chapter 1, 4 through 5, Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for His name. There's a reason that Jesus, after his resurrection in Matthew 28, tells his disciples and says, Go ye therefore into all nations. The reason he said that is because he gave them that apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations. Now, God has opened up this blessing to not just the line of Abraham and the Jews only, but it's open to all, everyone from every nation, no matter who you are or where you're from, you can be a child of the promise through Jesus Christ. And that's what this story has to do with us today. You can be a child of the promise today through Jesus Christ. If you have the same faith that Abraham had and do not stagger at the promise of God. Romans chapter 4.21 And Abraham being fully persuaded that what he had promised, what God had promised him, that he was also able to perform. That therefore it was imputed unto him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone, Abraham's sake, that it was imputed to him, but for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. That same God that made the promise to Abraham that fulfilled his part of the oath is the same God that raised Jesus up from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. And the reason we have the story of Abraham is for us to understand that faith and obedience will equal the blessing of God and being made part of his lineage. But how? How, if we, if we believe in the sacrifice son of promise, and act in the appropriate faith, can we be accounted as, as the seed, as part of this uh, lineage that will inherit these great prom uh, promises? Well, the Bible has the answers. Thankfully. We have to be born into the promise. That might sound like a problem because we're already born. Recall in the story that we read about Sarah trying to bring about the promise of God through fleshly means. 
through Hagar, the bondwoman. She had Ishmael, but Ishmael wasn't the son of promise because that was a human attempt at bringing about the promise of God. Isaac, on the other hand, was born by the power of God through the promise to a free woman. Thus, we have a picture, a powerful image of being born through the power of God into true freedom. And there's a difference in the fleshly means Ishmael and the spiritual means Isaac. One of bondage, one of freedom. Now this is how we become children of the promise, Jesus said, being born again. Not of the flesh. Not of fleshly means. We're not talking about having to go through a physical rebirth. We're talking about having to be born spiritually. And Jesus makes this clear to, the, to Nicodemus in John 3. Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Think of Ishmael. Think of Hagar having this, this child through the earthly means, through these fleshly human means. It won't work. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. It's brought about by the promise of God. It's brought about through the work of God. It's brought about not through human effort. But it's born only by the, by, because Abraham had faith and obedience, God fulfilled this promise to him. And now, this, this spiritual promise is given to him. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it listeth, and now hearest the sound thereof, and you cannot tell where it, where it came from and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Jesus is relating to Nicodemus the concept of true freedom. It's not given through fleshly means. True freedom is given by being born again of the Spirit, so that you can be reborn in Christ and be born into the lineage of freedom. And if you're born into this lineage of freedom by being born again by water and the Spirit, then you must also, like Abraham's descendants, receive the sign of the covenant that you are part of this covenant. But how do we do that? The same is accomplished when you're born in, from the water and the Spirit. Colossians chapter 2, 11 through 12. In whom, in Christ... Also are you circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Bear with him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who raised him from the dead. When you have faith and obedience the same way Abraham did, it will be accounted to you for righteousness, because God will, will cut away the sin of your life through his operation, he will circumcise you, so that it, it is a sign that you are part of his covenant people, and you're raised up from the water having been born again as part of the child of, of the promise. This makes us to be counted as the seed of Abraham and inheritors of this great promise of redemption that God has been working this whole time since, since mankind fell. Galatians chapter 3, 26-29 For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. This is significant because it's not just the line of Abraham anymore that can be the, the people of God. It can be the Greeks also, Jew and non-Jew. Now all have the opportunity. Go ye therefore into all nations, Jesus said. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you be Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What? an amazing blessing that God has given us through the act of being baptized into Christ. 
And we must be born again in this process. Or we are not truly children of the promise. We need to be very sure. Because sometimes we may uh, we encounter folks who have had a baptism in their life. And they try to just retroactively apply this in their mind and say, well, I've been baptized. Yeah, I did that. Be sure. Because if you're not, you're not a child of freedom. You are a child of bondage. And that's not a good place to be. Because the child of the, all the children of freedom that are in Christ, that are part of Abraham's seed, will be gathered up on that last day and will enjoy this beautiful and wonderful feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus says at the end, he says, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus is talking about this, he's reaffirming the thing that God promised in the first place. All nations would be blessed. Not just those from the east, the Jews, those from the west, the Greeks, the non-Jews. They would all come together. And in, and in Luke, he says those would come from the east and the west and the north and the south. Everybody from all around the world would be gathered together to this great king as we sit down in his kingdom and have this, this great feast with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the fathers of this very promise. What a blessing that will be on that day. What a day that will be. But we need to be sure, because if we're not children of the promise, we will be cast out. The children of the kingdom shall be cast out into our outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, why are the children of the kingdom cast out? Because they're not children of the promise. They're children of bondage. And we need to be aware of that. We need to think about this story with Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael. And we need to, to have awareness so that we are not cast out. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul relates this concept to us using this story. He says, for as it is written, Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. Again, freedom and slavery. The one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman by promise. That which is flesh is flesh, that which is spirit is spirit. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants. One from Mount Sinai, which gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. But this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and answers to or corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem, which is above, is free, which is the mother of us all. Do you think that Hagar was a bit prideful because she was able to have Abraham's child? I think so. I think the scriptures indicate that. She despised her mistress when she found out she was with child. Do you think Ishmael was a bit arrogant because he thought he was the true son of promise? I think so, because Ishmael was mocking Isaac when we read there in, 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 uh, in Genesis after they had weaned Isaac. Surely, they thought, we've got it made in the shade. We're not servants anymore. We're, the, we're, we're helping to bring about this promise of God until the day they were cast out of Abraham's family. You know, it's interesting because the descendants of Abraham that came generations after felt the same confidence in their physical lineage. 
And Jesus warns us to be sure about who we come from. And he warned the Jews to be sure about who they come from. And John the, John the Baptist also warned them to be sure about who they come from. In Luke chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he says, Bring therefore fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And now also the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not good forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. God uh, warned through, the, through John the Baptist, he warned these scribes and these Pharisees who came along and said, we're Abraham's children. We've got it made. Guess what? Just because you're born to Abraham does not mean anything. You could be cast out. God lays the axe to the root of the trees. And the people who are truly children of the kingdom are the ones who are bringing forth good fruit unto the glory of God. Jesus warned and taught about these same things, about who were the true children of freedom. John chapter 8, 31 through 37. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You want to be a true child of the promise? You want to be a true child of freedom? Be a disciple. Be a servant of the truth is what Jesus is telling them. And that's what will make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we are never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou you shall be made free? We're already free, Jesus. Jesus answered him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Folks, it's important for us to understand this part of the story because we need to be sure that we're bringing forth good fruit because we are disciples indeed and not because we're overconfident that we're the children of the promise. And I want to say a couple things about that that are important for us to know. Don't think that because your parents, or even your grandparents, or generations before were in Christ, that somehow that makes you righteous. It doesn't. We can't count on our family lineage as a means of salvation. If you have that, that's a great blessing. But don't count on that as your means of salvation. Make sure that you are a disciple indeed. Make sure the word of God has a place in you, in your heart, that it's your faith. It didn't work for Ishmael. And it didn't work for the Jews. And it won't work for any of us in the church who come from a lineage such as that. Maybe you're like me and you didn't grow up in the church. Or in the church. You didn't grow up with family that were in the church. If we think that just because we've been baptized, that we have it made in the shade, that's just as dangerous. Brethren, we must be producing good fruit because our actions are born out of true faith in Jesus Christ. We can't grow overconfident that just because we've been baptized, that it's, that's it, we're done. If we're living in sin, we're the servant of sin, and you are in bondage. And we can easily find ourselves in a place of bondage if we are committing sin in our lives and are stuck there. It 
If we're living in sin with the children of bondage and we're not free the way we think we might be. This story of Abraham is amazing and it's powerful and it's wonderful. And I want you, brethren, I bring these things up and I know it sounds harsh and I know it, it's hard to hear the, these things, but we must hear these things and we must be sure. And I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you that you be among the children of freedom by being in Christ, the true son of promise, so that you can rejoice with the one that was once barren. As Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, 27 through 28, for it is written, rejoice thou, that bear, uh, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. You need to ask yourself, are you among the children of promise? Are you in bondage to sin? I can't answer that. You can. You know. The blessing is that the family of Christ is here to help you. And I want to invite you tonight. I know it's hard to respond to an invitation. I want you to be true and honest because God knows your heart. You can't hide from him. You can hide it from us, but you cannot hide from God. He knows if you're a child of bondage or if you're a child of the promise. And the thing is, there's no reason, there's no reason that you shouldn't be a, a child of the promise. And, and I want to invite you to, to let your guard down. We're family. We invite you with open arms. Be vulnerable. Open up. It's okay if you need help and you want to be a child of freedom. The gateway is here. We can help you with that. You can be born again, as Jesus says, by the water of the Spirit, and the Son of God will make you free indeed. And if you're a Christian and you're bound to sin and you're wrapped up in slavery because of sin, you found yourself there again, the Son of Promise invites you to come back so that you can have those bonds removed and be free indeed and be disciples of His Word. Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.